With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast, on the eight side network. Rick Welts joins us on Sports Byline. Rick has been a part of the NBA for more than 50 years. I got to know Rick when he started his basketball career as a ball boy for the Seattle Supersonics. He worked his way up in the organization and was the head of PR when the Sonics won their only NBA championship back in 1979. He then moved to the NBA League office where he became the third highest ranking official as the league's executive vice president and chief marketing officer. His league accomplishments include the development of the Dream Team, the launching of the WNBA, and the development of the NBA's All-Star Weekend. He left the league office to become the CEO of the Phoenix Suns, and in 2011 he became the president and COO of the Golden State Warriors. And during his time there, the Warriors went to five straight NBA finals, winning three championships. He's retiring, but I have to tell you, it's really going to be like that Godfather movie. Just about the time I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Rick, uh, retirement, particularly in sports, is an interesting thing. And for you, it's been part of your DNA for more than 50 years. Tell me how you came up with this decision to retire. The timing, uh, Ron, could not, could not be better. But I'm hearing you go through that resume. We've known each other for a very long time. Uh, yes. And uh, I don't know, after 46 NBA seasons uh, and with our franchise and our league uh, in, the, in the state, which is great that they're in right now, it just feels to me like the, the right time to, to step away from this job. Um, we have a great young organization. We've already named my successor. Uh, we're in great hands, I think, at the league level. You know, with Adam Silver leading the charge, we, we between the team and the league, we just have uh, a future over the next many, many years of real success. And that feels great to me. That's what I've worked my whole life for. And it makes it uh, it makes it much easier than uh, than it might otherwise have been if circumstances and my outlook of the future wasn't so bright for the league and the team. When you think back, and again, when you started with the Seattle Supersonics uh, and the way you got into that organization and everything, do you kind of smile a little bit when you look at that life path that you've gone down? Uh, not a little bit. I smile constantly. You can't, you can't get the smile off my face. Uh, you know, for a kid growing up in Seattle who just loves sports, uh, no one could have imagined having luck and circumstances uh, coincide in a way that they have in my life to be able to have 
the experiences I've had and to meet the people that I've met and travel the places I've been able to travel. Uh, it just, it feels like just an unbelievable privilege and, and something that I'm thankful for every day. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is you start as a ball boy with the Seattle Supersonics. You finish with the Sonics, the head of PR. You win an NBA championship. And when you think back on that and your success in the so many areas with the ball club, what do you think was the determinant factor for allowing you to be that successful? Seriously, luck does play an amazing part in it. I, I do think the one thing I was good at was picking great mentors. Uh, I, th I think I've had a history of people in my life with much more experience and much more knowledge than I had who, for whatever reason, took an interest in me and, and shared that knowledge and shared that experience and you know, really, really helped me every step of the way. I, I'm not any of them, you know, whether that's David Stern or, or uh, you know, Jerry Colangelo or, or, you know, some of the people I worked with at the Sonics, uh, even. I'm none of those people myself, but I hope I've taken an element that I admired in each one of them, tried to in my own way and my own personality, tried to adopt that as a, as a way I approach each day. And, uh, you know, I think, more than anything else, I'm just thankful to all the people who cared enough about uh, that 16-year-old kid to invest a lot of time and energy in helping him uh, find his way. A good way to go out of the organization, 1979. Sonics win their only NBA championship. I remember it well. Fred Brown, Dennis Johnson, Jack Sigma, mm -hmm. Gus Williams, Paul Silas, and, of course, Lenny Wilkins. Tell me a little bit about Lenny because Lenny was a player coach in the NBA and a Hall of Famer, of course. So, Ron, you know, you and I have to explain to people that um, my first year at the Sonics uh, was 1969, and we didn't have a guy in a suit on the bench, okay? So, uh, Lenny Wilkins was our best player, as well as our head coach, and his two assistant coaches were, were both players, Rod Thorne uh, and Tom Harry. And I'm, I'm still friends with all three of them by the way. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's so funny to look at our benches today where, uh, you know, we, we have 25 people surrounding our players to try to get the game played when we didn't have <laughs> one person other than our trainer sitting on the bench except for the players. What do you think was the glue uh, and the catalyst on that 79 championship oh. team? Because I know some of the personalities and everything – and I was always amazed at how they came together. But from your perspective, being on the inside looking out, tell me what you saw. That's a really interesting question. I don't know that I've been asked that before. Uh, so we have to remember how that team came together. Uh, Bill Russell had been the coach uh, of the Sonics um, and, and was fired uh, after the 1977 season. And uh, they... Uh, you and I may be the only two people who actually can remember who the coach was that replaced Bill Russell at the Sonics. Um, his primary uh, claim to fame was that he was Bill Russell's cousin. His name was Bob. Uh, and Bob Hopkins uh, was the head coach when I'm the brand new public relations director. So excited to be in this dream job that I had. And our first 22 games, uh, we were the worst team in the NBA. We were 5-17. and 17. So Bill Russell's cousin was fired. Uh, Lenny Wilkins, who'd been there as a director of player personnel, uh, was hired to be head coach. And I remember uh, a restaurant in Seattle, you may know, uh, called Canlis. And we had yes. our 
we had our Sonic Christmas party at Canlis after Lenny had taken over a few games and we'd actually started to win a few games. And that may be one of the most magical evenings I've ever experienced where you just felt something amazing was happening, where this team that had been so bad, the worst in the NBA, and now is finding brand new success, all of a sudden, you know, something was clicking. And as you know, we went on that year to go to the NBA finals and we lost uh, to the Washington Bullets, but then came back the next season and won the championship also uh, playing the Washington Bullets. But it was, you know, it was Lenny's steady hand uh, and experience as a coach. And and we, we had a really well-balanced team. Dennis Johnson, you mentioned like one of the best, if not the best defensive guard in the history of the game. Uh, we, we had Gus Williams, who was a terrific classic point guard as fast as could be with a great shot. You know, we had a veteran and Fred Brown coming off the bench who could uh, make three-point shots, which were brand new in the NBA. Uh, and we had, a, we had a big upfront lineup. Uh, the championship year, assistant year player, Jack Sigma, uh, who had still one of the great shots in the history of the game, this, this fallback jumper that no center could possibly block. Uh, and a Paul Silas and a Lonnie Shelton, big, big, tough guys under the board who uh, made sure that nobody pushed us around and took care of the rebounding for us. So it was just a, it was just, you know, one of those moments in time as all championship teams are, I guess, where all the personalities blended with the leadership uh, on the court and through the coaching staff that uh, had everybody rowing in the same direction and, and so much fun and success during that stretch. We have a little bit over a minute and a half before we have to break, but uh, basketball was certainly established in the Northwest, but I don't think anybody else around the country really knew where Seattle was and everything. And, and I know that community so well. What did that championship mean to Seattle? Well, it's really kind of why I uh, got into this business. My dad would take me to Sonics games before I worked there. And, you know, we were, the, it was the first time, as you said, that we had a major league sports franchise and our, our Seattle name was in the standings every day next to New York and Los Angeles and Chicago for the first time. And it was such a source of community pride as our first uh, pro team. And then to have the success of winning Seattle's first uh, and the Sonics only championship, uh, every, every house, on every block had a little sign we made for the games that just said go Sonics. Uh, and it seemed like every person in the city was riveted to those games, either in person or on television or radio. And, and it brought the city together in a way that it really proves how important sports can be in our lives. In about 30 seconds, is there a moment about that championship series that's kind of engraved in Rick Welts's mind forever? Yep. Uh, Capital Center, where we won the championship game after, after we had won, getting to uh, go to the payphone that was sitting back there by the locker room and calling my parents and, and just, you know, having a good laugh and cry and, and cheer. Rick Welts is with us. Uh, he is retiring uh, from the NBA. At least that's what he's telling me and others around him. But this man uh, has been in the NBA for a very long time, starting as a ball boy with the Seattle Supersonics and now course president and COO as he retires of the Golden State Warriors who won three NBA championships over a five-year period. We'll talk more about his life and about his career as we continue across the country and around the world. Good to have you with us here on America's sports talk show, Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. 
there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Rick Welts is with us here on Sports Byline USA. He's been with the NBA for a very long time, but he is retiring and looking around, I would assume, for other things to do in his life. But I have to go back to Seattle for just a second, Rick, and that is, uh, you worked with Bill Russell, and of course I was up there when uh, Bill was up there as well. And I think about Bill Russell, and I remember doing a game in Boston on television for Cairo Channel 7, and when he, he always loved beating the Celtics because he used to play for him. He won all those championships. But i got to tell you, uh, when his team was not playing well against him, he really let them have it. Tell me a little bit about his personality. What was the overriding thing that made him so good in everything that he did? You know, and I would say this if he was on the phone with us, uh, I think good at everything he did except maybe coaching. That's right? it, yeah. And that that is, you know, has been something, it's not unique amongst the great players in the history of the game who had talents that mere mortal NBA players don't have. And I think the frustration of not being able to coach a player to do the things that came to you if not easily, but, but but came to you and you were so good at, I think it was a source of huge frustration for him. And I think that's been true for a lot of our, our best players who took a hand at coaching for some period of time and decided it wasn't for them. Because, you know, when you're, when you're used to being the best at everything you do, and then you've got players who can't do things the way that you think they should be able to do, I think, I think it's, a, it becomes a really, really hard job. So you know, all the things that made him the great competitor he was and dro- drove himself, I think in some ways were the same factors that made it difficult for him to coach. 
Yeah, I agree. I remember a conversation I had, Rick, with Frank Robinson, the great baseball player, and he had the same thing. And I've talked to other great Hall of Fame players who went into managing, and they just said they had an expectation of other players to do it as well or as hard as they did. And it really just tore them up that they couldn't reach those players or that they didn't try like he tried. And I think that's always a difficult thing for a very uh, successful uh, athlete. Spot on as a description of what Bill. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about you going to the NBA office. What was it behind that decision? Well, I came back from lunch one day and had a, I don't know if you remember back, we had these little pink paper slips that said, while you were out, that people took long <laughs> messages for you. And I had one that was on my desk, a name I didn't recognize, but it was a, a number I recognized as being at the NBA. So I called back person on the other end said, hey, uh, I'm a lawyer here at the NBA, but I have a new business role. My job is to create a business operation uh, for the NBA. The NBA, this is, you know, this is 1982. The NBA basically was responsible for scheduling games, assigning referees, and settling disputes between teams. And that was pretty much what the 35 people uh, who work for the NBA did. And his job was to go build a business operation. So he said, I've heard about you. Why don't you come back and visit me? Which, wow, you know, I got to get on a plane and go to New York City. I think I'd been there once before in my life. I got to spend a night in the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, which I, I, <laughs> I couldn't believe. Walked across the street and sat down with this lawyer from a half hour meeting. And I think it was about, I don't know, I remember it was about three hours later when I left uh, David Stern's office. And, uh, you know, over the course of the meeting, we found, you know, fellow travelers in terms of our love for the NBA and, and how great it was. He had a better perspective than I did because I was seeing it through my Seattle eyes where I thought the NBA was the biggest thing in the world. <laughs> uh, but I checked the boxes for him. I was passionate about the NBA. I was young and maybe most importantly, I was really cheap. I was very inexpensive <laughs> to hire. So at that time, that was a, an important component. And so about six months later, I ended up, uh, joining the NBA uh, June, July of 1982 uh, as the first person that ever went out to actually talk to corporate sponsors about maybe investing marketing dollars in this tattered league uh, called the NBA. And of course, my, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, uh, the owners and their wisdom decided to, to make David Stern commissioner and go on a, you know, unprecedented 30 year run in that role uh, for any commissioner in any sport. I think so. It was an amazing uh, coincidence of events. You know, it's very interesting. Bob Wolf was my agent at that particular time, and he represented Larry Bird and everything. So he gave me some insights into the league. In the early 80s, that league was in trouble. There was a, a drug problem within the league as well. The I think the championship games were on at 11 o'clock at night on some obscure network, or maybe it was even on, on I don't know what it was on. But how bad was the league at that time? Well, we, we had a boatload of problems, right? And no clear path to success. And, and really, you know, it wasn't until, it was right before Stern took over in his role as the, the executive vice president of the league that, you know, we made our agreement with the Players Association, with Bob Lanier as president of the Players Association, agreeing that uh, we had to deal with this perception of drug use in the NBA. And the players uh, stepped up and agreed with the owners that any player um, found using a, a drug that, that should, they should not have been using could be expelled from the league. And that was 
from a public perception standpoint and for an importance in the history of the game standpoint, it was a huge turning point because here were the players saying, number one, like this whole idea is exaggerated, but number two, we're, we don't want that in our league and we'll be a party to making sure that it's not. So the, we started a little bit, um, but there, but it was broken. You know, we had more talk of teams going out of business than we did about expansion. Um, and we just had a terrible reputation. We, we didn't have a business. We were not good business partners. So, uh, you know, we just had to start talking about what the league was going to be to people. And then when we made a promise, we had to keep it. And, over, you know, that was also about the time you may have heard of these two guys who came into our league, uh, you know, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Um, and that was a big help in terms of public popularity, obviously, uh, for the league, writing that through uh, through through the next decade. Um, and when Stern had that to fall back on in terms of how the game was growing. We have about three minutes before we have to break again. Uh, your league accomplishments, I mentioned them a little bit earlier, but they do include the development of the Dream Team. I was in Portland, Oregon, doing sports byline out of there the night that you all announced who the Dream Team was. How did you view that? What was it that you thought about when that was announced as to what you could do for pro basketball with that? Uh, I certainly didn't have big enough vision to see how impactful it eventually would be. Uh, we had worked like all these stories, you know, they, there's a long preamble to them. Um, but we had worked for years and years to try to uh, get to that point because the NBA, as you know, was not part of the Olympic structure. Uh, the Olympic governing body in the United States was called ABA USA and the NBA was not a part of ABA USA. So it was really college and high school sports that governed uh, the Olympics uh, with FIBA, the international governing body. So we, we worked for years to prove we could be good partners, to prove that involving American NBA players, I have to say American NBA players, because remember it was only, if you were a, a player from another country who played in the NBA, you could play in the Olympics. It was only American NBA players that were not allowed to play in the Olympics. Um, and we knew it would be big, uh, but I had no idea uh, of how impactful those two weeks in Barcelona would be in the development of the game and the development of the NBA. You know, I've never seen anything uh, like what I saw in Barcelona <laughs> during the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I guess they were rock stars. Maybe it was even beyond rock stars. How did you perceive it? <laughs> well, it was... It was you know, kind of spine tingling for all of us because it was so unexpected. Like the hotel where the team was staying was surrounded 24 hours a day with crowds, you know, and Charles Barkley famously would, would get set up with being in his hotel at some point during the evening and take a, you know, a mile walk down Los Ramos in Barcelona. And he looked like the Pied Piper, right? He would have this gigantic <laughs> crowd following him wherever he went. And, uh, it was it was the story of of those Olympics in Barcelona in '92, and you know it, it, you also have to remember it was controversial in the United States. We have this wonderful sense of fair play uh, in our country, where there was a significant segment of the media and others who felt it was unfair to send our best athletes to the Olympics to play basketball. We didn't, we didn't feel that way about swimming or track and field or anything else, but somehow it was like un-American to, to have an unfair advantage in the Olympics. But the rest of the world didn't look at it. The rest of the world saw probably the best 
group of athletes ever assembled on one team, and that may be true forever, uh, who just captured the world's attention in, in winning that gold medal in Barcelona and really moving, I think, basketball's agenda ahead 20 years around the world uh, by doing that the way they did it. Yeah. I agree with you. I thought that was the launching point really for where the NBA was headed to and the success they've had since then. I might point out about Rick, uh, he also was involved with the launching of the WNBA and the development of the NBA's All-Star Weekend, the one that you see now with all the excitement and the skills competitions and everything. And then, as I pointed out a little bit earlier, he left the league office to become CEO of the Phoenix Suns. And then in 2011, he became the president and COO of the Golden State Warriors. And during his time there, the Warriors went on to five straight NBA championship finals, winning three of those championships. And we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about a personal decision he made, one that has been very, very important. We continue on Sports Byline. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Rick Welts is with us here on Sports Byline USA. He is a member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and deservedly so, not for playing in the game, but for helping develop the professional basketball game, the NBA, into what it is today. I mentioned that you became uh, the CEO of the Phoenix Suns, and then 10 years ago, uh, back in 2011, you decided to come west or further west and uh, join the Golden State Warriors uh, and I know you did that for personal reasons, but what kind of organization did you find when you joined the Warriors? <laughs> uh, you know, I think every observer of the NBA had looked at the Golden State Warriors franchise for a long time and said, you know, if you could ever get that in the right ownership and management hands, uh, you know, this would be one of the outstanding franchises in sports, much 
left the NBA. And uh, I was one of those people. And then when Joe Lacob and Peter Guber bought the team, uh, you know, the first thing I saw that they did was hire Jerry West. And I, from a distance, that was kind of like, okay, these guys might uh, be taking a little bit different approach than had been taken in Golden State before. And uh, as you said, it corresponded with the time in my life where I wanted to move to Northern California. And I was lucky enough to get introduced to the two of them. I had no idea what to expect uh, when I got there. Uh, what I found was maybe what the problem was. We had an organization that that was was expected to lose, right? That was true in the locker room. The players expected we were going to lose games. It was it was expected in the rest of the organization that we, we were not going to make the playoffs, something we hadn't done in 16 out of 17 years, which is almost statistically impossible in a league where half the teams make the playoffs every year. Uh, but but we had that was the challenge. The challenge was how do you how do you go from expecting to lose to expecting to win uh, on and off the court? And you know that was that's what we faced when we got there. Just really having having to make a, a significant culture change. Is it fair to say that the hiring of Steve Kerr as the coach was instrumental in taking the the organization and the club to the level it is now today? I it certainly was, but I think. If you were talking to Steve right now, he says you're you're getting you're giving me a little more credit. It really where it really changed in our locker room was when Mark Jackson was our coach. Ah. Uh, that's really when we went from a team that expected to lose to a team that expected. To lose. Uh, so you know, while Steve definitely had the perfect skill set for the team that we had to take them to the next level, um, I, I really think Mark Jackson gets a lot of credit for really having changed the culture of our locker room and, and convincing our players that, you know, his, with his coaching and our resources and our fans that they could be and would be successful. I think it was very interesting. I looked at the roster back then, and you're absolutely right. Uh, I think it needed to have a direction, and I think it was Jackson that gave them that direction. What polished them off was Steve Kerr with his system and also I think the way he interacted with his players. Am I correct about that? Hundred percent. You know, right, right person at the right time, right experience. Right. I mean, you remember at, at the time uh, we all did a little. I knew Steve because he'd been the general manager in Phoenix when I was president of the Phoenix Sun, so I knew what we were getting as a human being. But think, think about the circumstances from the outside, Ron. Like, so let's get this straight. You're firing Mark Jackson, who was an, a television announcer, great player, television announcer but had never coached a game before. And to get to the next level, you're going to hire a, a good player who is a television announcer who never coached a game before, right? Okay, and expect a different outcome. So it was a big bet on who Steve is uh, as a human being. And uh, that bet obviously was was well-placed and, and has paid incredible dividends to the organization. You know, one of the things that I point to is I take a look at those championship uh, seasons and also the five straight uh, NBA finals. I mean, you think about it, you get Andre Iguodala, who was a star at Denver, you get him to play a backup role. Then you get the egos and the personalities of Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and others on that team. It all melded together well. And that is not something that's easy to do, not only in life, but in professional sports as well. What impressed you the most about the organization and about Steve being able to do that? Well, I think you hit on one that he points to all the time is Andre Godala, who, you know, the many time all-star who joined us as a free agent, uh, you know, he went to Andre and said, I think, I think the team 
would benefit from you not starting and coming off the bench and playing a role leading our leading our second unit. You'll be on the you'll be on the floor when the game ends, but not when the game begins. And I think for his relationship, uh, the relationship Steve had with Andre uh, and Andre's uh, such gracious acceptance of that role, not only accepting it but embracing it and and making it unbelievably successful. Like he was the most veteran player in our locker room, and if he was willing to do that, like tell me who else shouldn't make a sacrifice for the good of the basketball team. I mentioned about the five straight uh, championship series, NBA championship series. Do you have any sleepless night of after not having a fourth championship? I think about it all the time, and I don't know why, Rick, when you're up 3-1 against the Cavaliers and you don't win that game. Does it bother people in the organization like you and Steve Kerr and anybody associated with that? Everybody. You know, there's so <laughs> few chances in life to accomplish what we were so close to accomplishing. I almost feel like we should have put a gap in the uh, – in the in the banner hanging right and, and left, left a space for the one that we let get away uh yeah it was it was it was incredibly disappointing but also you know re-energizing to come back and and prove we could do it again rick welts is with us and rick may 15th 2011 you went public as being a gay man tell me behind that decision what was important to you Right. Um, so I, I, as you have recounted, spent my entire life uh, in sports because it's the it's the place that I loved. It's the industry that that I always gravitated to, and it's what I love doing every day. Um, my personal problem was that there was no one in sports in an administrative level um, who I could who I had as a role model to say. You know, if I if I brought my complete self to work, including my sexual orientation, you know what? That'll work out great, and it won't have any any damage to my career. I was afraid. I didn't know I didn't know how it would affect the opportunity to be successful in the industry that I love so much. And you know, I'd reached a point where uh, I'd lost one parent. Um, my mother was uh, had been diagnosed with with lung cancer and didn't know how long she had to live. Uh, I'd had a long-time relationship breakup, uh, I think in large measure because I couldn't bring the most important person in my life into my work life. Uh, and I just had decided it was time. Um, but then what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you take that next step? And that for me was a question I, I just didn't know. Um, so I sought out a friend uh, who used to run a big PR firm and New York City, who knows the media as well as anybody, and I asked him to have dinner one night in New York, and he said, you know, I'm looking at, here's my story, here's what I'm thinking of doing, you know, what do you think? I can't put this into context. <laughs> I love telling story. He looked across the dinner table at me, and he calls me, still calls me Ricky. He goes, Ricky? He goes, you know, if you're willing to do this, one, I, I, I want to help you, and second, I think it's front page of the New York Times. And that was a deep breath, and kind of my holy cow moment um, because uh, that that was not exactly what I was expecting to hear but 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 uh, he connected me with a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, writer at the New York Times named Dan Barry two guys named Dan uh, and uh, Dan flew out to Phoenix and we sat down and said you know 
how best to tell the story and 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 hatch the idea that, that because I've done a pretty good job in doing what I'm doing, nobody really knew who I was. Uh, but everybody I had befriended over the course of my career, everybody in sports knew. So if we could ask Bill Russell and David Stern and Steve Nash and the like to tell my story, uh, that would that would be a much more effective way and catch a lot more people's attention. And so that's what we did. Um, but, but bottom line, you know, it was about like, if, if there's one kid out there today who, who knows my story and, and is struggling uh, in their own lives about whether they can be successful in sports and, and have a career in sports, I hope some kid looks at that and says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try it because I think I can be. And if that happens, then, then, then it's all, you know, a career well spent. Knowing you as long and as well as I do, I smiled when I saw that story, and I was so proud of you. And I know that it's touched a lot of other people. Jennifer Azy, who was my broadcasting partner in the ABL, and I knew down at Stanford, later uh, came out also as gay, and she was motivated by you. So you have touched an awful lot of people. But mm -hmm. I want to touch on one other thing. Um, your first partner passed away in March of 1994, and you ran an obituary in Seattle that suggested anyone who wanted to make a remembrance could write a check to the University of Washington Architectural School, which was your partner's major. And one of those checks was from David Stern. It was for $10,000. And, of course, when David passed away a couple of years ago, uh, you gave a eulogy speech. And I'm just wondering, as you think back on that speech, think back on David Stern, what is it that touched you so much about him? Oh, that's a big question. Um, certainly professionally the most important person in my life. Um, you know, I reported to him for 17 years. And, of course, by reputation, my line is, and live to tell about it. Uh, <laughs> because he was not the easiest person to work for. But that kind of uh, incredibly tough exterior you know, was covering up an unbelievably uh, wonderful, generous, compassionate human being uh, who cared a lot about everybody that uh, he came in contact with and especially uh, the, his family and the people that he worked with. Um, you know, his, uh, I learned so much from him. I, I, the one thing I always talk about with him is this every day to be able to wake up with this unquenchable thirst to learn something new um, is something that, that I wish I could do every day. I try, but but he did every day. Every day he grew up willing to challenge everything he knew and looking at different points of view and, and challenging himself to say, maybe they get this and maybe I don't. And you know, there's an opportunity here to get better. And it's, it's, it's you have to have such curiosity. You have to have such wide-ranging interests. You, you would go into his office and he would hand me four or five newspaper magazine articles and I'd be reading those. And I, what in the world does this have to do with the NBA, right? <laughs> and then I get to some nugget and I go, okay, I understand they have the same issue we have, but they're doing this something, something very different than we are. Maybe maybe I should take a look at that. So, you know, it, it, was, his, it was his friendship. It was his mentorship. It was his love um, that, that you know, and his talent, you know, and I think make him one of a kind uh, and people that have held that role. We only have two minutes left. And, uh, you know, when you say retirement, I hate that word because it, if you retire, you're beginning to die. And I think we all, like yourself and myself, 
we need to keep going. We need to do things that we have a passion for. So for Rick Welts going forward, what's that passion going to be? No, I don't know. Um, you know the, the Warriors uh, are kind enough to decide I can hang around probably for a year to annoy them on a occasional basis, but at the same time, give me the freedom to go out and pursue a passion project or two, uh, something that, that I could become really excited about and using the experience and relationships that I've been able to build over my career. So the true answer is, I don't know what that's going to be, but but I also don't think that R word retirement is probably in my vocabulary. So, you know, stay tuned. Maybe, maybe we'll have another topic that you and I can chat on. <laughs> when you look back on your life and your career, what is that one moment uh, in Rick Welts's wild life that is kind of engraved in his mind forever? Oh, Ron, you know, uh, for somebody who grew up in my background doing what I did, uh, and even the role that I played to get uh, to get inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame was unimaginable, even at the moment it happened. Uh, something I never, ever, ever could have dreamt of. And, and uh, it, it's just so gratifying and, and so humbling to be able to uh, to be in that position. But that, you know, I, I think for me, it will always stand out as the one thing I never could imagine that I was lucky enough to have happened to me. Well, you left your mark not only on professional sports, but on a lot of people and also life in general. I've known you for a very, very long time. And I've always been proud to say that I know Rick Welts, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but just the way you went about things and the way you touched people and the things that you did in such a classy way. You had great mentors. There is no doubt about that. But not all people follow the great mentors, and you certainly have done that well. You are always welcome here on Sports Byline. We're going to stay in touch and uh, continued good luck and whatever the next adventure is for you, Rick. Okay. Thanks, my friend. Rick Welts with us again. He has been a part of the NBA for more than 40 years, 50 years, whatever the length of time is. He's been very successful at what he's done in the front office or as his teams have done as well. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a green tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.